Welcome to the Brooks Rehabilitation Podcast. My name is Tracy Davis. I actually was not joined by Michelle on this episode. She was traveling to Iceland when we recorded this. This episode is being released in the month of February, which is Low Vision Awareness Month. So we had on Dr. Caitlin Jordan. She's the optometrist at our Low Vision Clinic and Sarah LaRosa, who is an occupational therapist at our Low Vision Clinic. We really got into what low vision is. I'm sure that a lot of us listening uh, are not fully aware of what low vision is and how it differs from your regular optometrist and ophthalmologist and just making people more aware of what it is and that there is help out there for patients that have low vision and also how the things that they do affect our patients within the Brooks system. So they have a clinic, uh, an outpatient clinic, but also they get out and about into our, the rest of our system and help patients that have low vision issues. Before we get into the rest of the episode, I wanted to remind you to please subscribe to the podcast. Our analytics show that most people are listening on Apple Podcasts, and it's very simple to subscribe there. So if you are not subscribed, please consider doing so. And also leave us a review. Um, you can leave us, uh, we'd love a five-star review or you know whatever you decide to, to leave us, but please leave us a review on whatever podcast platform uh, you're listening to us on. Pretty much any podcast platform you, you're listening on, you can also subscribe. So uh, we would appreciate you doing those two things for us. Also visit us on social media. We are posting a ton of stuff there, videos, photos, patient stories, employee stories, uh, cool things that are happening uh, within our community through Brooks. Uh, you can find us at Brooks Rehab on pretty much any platform, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, and also visit us at brooksrehab.org where we are posting new things every, every, all the time, um, new blog articles and things like that, and uh, keeping you up to date as to what is happening at Brooks. Without further ado, let's get into the rest of the episode. Th thank you guys for doing this. I know uh, it's, our, it's maybe your lunchtime, um, so thank you. I, I know it's tough for clinicians to take the time out to do stuff we want to do for marketing. But um, So if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself and, and say what your role is at Brooks? My name is Caitlin Jordan. I'm the optometrist here at Brooks, and I help to lead our low vision program and then our vision rehab program inside the inpatient hospital and in the skilled nursing facilities as well. Mm -hmm. My name is Sarah LaRosa, and I'm an occupational therapist that specializes in neurologic and vision rehab um, within Brooks, and I also help to support our vision rehab services for our system of care. Great. And can you just, just give us like a brief, quick overview of what the, the low vision clinic is, what you guys do, and then we'll kind of get a little bit deeper, but how would you describe the low vision program? So we work with patients who have vision loss and vision loss can be from anything. It can be from an eye disease. Some of the most common ones are macular degeneration, glaucoma, diabetes, and um, we also work with patients who have vision loss from neurological changes like a stroke, or it could even be an eye injury, something like that. Anything that causes vision loss. Mm -hmm. And typically they're already seen by ophthalmology or their optometrist. And we're kind of at the end of what medical treatment can do. There's not really any way to improve their vision with glasses, contacts, or um, surgery or medication. Mm -hmm. And their vision is impacting their daily activities. So they're having limitations in function and um, they're having difficulty doing their daily activities. So they're coming to us and we're working with them to find um, special tools and strategies, magnifiers, uh, technology, specially prescribed glasses to help them maximize the use of their vision and return to their daily activities um, to really allow for the most independence that that we can do. Mm -hmm. You have anything to add on? 
we mostly joke around and say that she's the brains and I'm the bronze. So <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jordan will um, start with an initial examination and she will start to help define a person's level of visual function. So their visual acuity, their visual fields, and she'll start to paint a picture for um, supportive rehab professionals, in this case, occupational therapy, to basically then step in and start with providing some interventions to help promote um, improved participation and just daily living activities. Sometimes that's vocation related, sometimes it's school related, sometimes it's just keeping our folks independently living in their homes and their residents so that they can just continue with day to day life based things that are important to them. Mm-hmm. And so we joke around and say she's the brains and I'm the bronze, but um, really, you know, I'm a little bit of the brains too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would assume so. Yeah. Uh, one thing that helps me always remember what you guys do is you, you just whenever I'm trying to think of what low vision is, is it's helping people utilize the vision that they have left, mm-hmm. and it's not trying to cure anything. Kind of like the rest of rehab, like right. it's 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 you helping them find ways of living their life with the vision that they currently have. Exactly. Um, One of the pictures that I like to paint for people that kind of helps when you're talking to people who have experience with the rest of healthcare, but, you know, everybody kind of goes, oh, what do we do with eyes? (laughs) But in the same way that if somebody hurt their knee, Mm -hmm. you're not going to say, oh, man, that stinks. Well, here's a wheelchair and enjoy life in the wheelchair. Good luck. Good luck. Uh, Or, sorry, we don't even know what a wheelchair is. Stay in bed and Mm -hmm. and we'll see what happens. Um, It's kind of the same way if if you lose function in your vision and we lose lose part of your vision, there are tools, there are strategies, there are ways to go about living um, beyond just saying, oh, man, I'm sorry, that's gone. Like, good luck with that. That's what we're here for is kind of what can we use to improve that function and get them back to doing their daily activities in the same way that you wouldn't say stay in your bed all the time to somebody who hurt their knee or their leg. Right. We're not going to say the same thing. Just stay at home all time. And Right. Absolutely. And so you can imagine the first step is helping a person to understand the vision they have that is remaining that we can teach them to use and then find the appropriate tools, as she mentioned earlier, whether that's optical magnification or technologies to help them function with the vision they have that's remaining. In some cases, a person doesn't have functioning vision remaining. And so then we have to start to teach them to rely on other senses like smell and taste and touch and um, Mm -hmm. hearing if we have that intact too. It gets tricky because when we start talking about our older demographic, a lot of times those other senses have been impacted as well. So now we have a loss of hearing and a loss of vision as well as some impairments with um, our other senses too. So um, neuropathy can play a part in that. So it can become a rather complex um, situation. Mm -hmm. And so all the more reason why it helps to have a a team of people coming together to help this individual problem solve skills for engaging in the things that are important to them. Right. So let's go back and talk about the differences in vision, because I think most normal people are just used to going see their eye doctor every Mm -hmm. year. So what's explain the difference in um, optometrist, ophthalmologist, and then what you guys do here? What makes things different? Sure. So, and you can kind of think of an optometrist more like your primary care mm-hmm. eye doctor. 
Um, they're going to evaluate the health of your eyes. A lot of times they can help to diagnose and provide some of the basic treatments for certain types of eye disease. Uh, one of the big differences between an optometrist is, and an ophthalmologist is an ophthalmologist has gone to medical school and does a surgical residency. Okay. And so they're your eye surgeons who are going to perform things like cataract surgery, glaucoma surgery, retinal surgeries, um, in addition to some of the primary care that an optometrist could also provide. Um, a lot of times they'll work together. And usually with your general eye exams, the main goal is to check the health of your eyes, make sure they're as healthy as we can keep them, and then maybe per prescribe some glasses to correct any uncorrected um, refractive error, get your eyes in focus. Right. Um, and then where the low vision exam comes in is where we already know that there's a disease, something that's reducing vision, and we've they've had their their prescription corrected and it's not providing what they need to, to do their daily activities. They're still having trouble seeing. Mm -hmm. And so a low vision exam, rather than focusing on the health of your eyes, it focuses more on the function of your eyes. Okay. And so we're going to focus on what vision do you have and trying to describe that to both the, the patient, the family, and any other caregivers who are going to be involved in their care. And then how can we maximize the use of that vision? So, a lot of times, one of the things that everybody remembers about an eye exam is that fun test called which is better, one or two. Right. It's like, ah, oh, it makes me cringe. I hate that test. <laughs> I never know if I've got the right answer. <laughs> um, but one of the things that we do in a low vision exam is a different version of that test. It's called a trial frame refraction, mm -hmm. where you get a special trial frame that the, the frame actually moves with the person. So say they have a blind spot and they have to kind of always move their eyes and their head around it, that trial frame moves with them. So anytime that we're checking their prescription, we don't have to worry that it's changing because they're moving. Okay. And then also, like I said, most people say, I can't tell the difference when you say which is better, one or two, they all look the same. Right. If your vision is already reduced, that gets even harder. So if we sew these small differences, people, it, it all looks the same. We check their prescription and nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. If you do it in a trial frame, you can show bigger changes and eventually hone in on any little small changes that could still give us, if not huge changes in their vision, it, small improvements. In about 10% um, of people, we can get a two-line improvement mm -hmm. by doing a refraction that way rather than behind the, it's called a four-opter, the machine that you're used to seeing at the eye doctor. Um and then in the rest of the 90% of people, it's not to say we don't get any improvement. A lot of times we can get smaller improvements. And so that test is kind of what's the maximum best potential that we can get your vision to start with. And then we use that starting point with the glasses to then figure out, are there reading glasses that we can do? Are there special magnifiers that we can use? Can we use technology to help them see better mm -hmm. um, and kind of go from there? Right. So... Uh, and you guys, before we get too deep into the rest of it, if we have, you guys accept um, patients, not just from outside of Brooks coming directly here, but you guys are also working a lot with patients that we already have in other parts of Brooks. Mm -hmm. And so if, it, if there's any other clinicians listening now that want to know, hey, I have a, they, they're saying I have a patient that could definitely benefit from you guys, or they should at least have a, an exam. Mm -hmm. um, how do they do that? How do they go about doing that? 
So we have a number of procedures set up in place, and Dr. Jordan can help piggyback on this and answer this question along with me. But we do have, um, I believe it's still active through eBrooks. We have a referral procedure on our MyBrooks. MyBrooks. Yeah, oh, names, the names change. Get shoot. with it. Sorry, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> That's like years of habit. I know, It's I know. ingrained in my head. Um, but on MyBrooks, we have a procedure where uh, we have a referral form. And I believe that's still through the... It's on the outpatient page. If you go to the okay. system of care and then outpatient, and you scroll down a little bit on the right-hand side, Okay. there's a low vision referral form. And then if there's anyone from outside of Brooks listening, how how what's the best? What Do they have to get referred to you from their, their physician or something like that? Or Not usually. So most insurances, um, you can just send a direct referral because the referral is going to optometry. And okay. so we don't usually need an order from primary care. For some of the HMO insurances that um, do require pre-authorization, mm -hmm. getting the referral from primary care is mm -hmm. necessary. Um, but usually um, if, if they just regular insurance, Medicare, um, anything that's not an HMO, mm -hmm. you can just fax over a referral to the office and then we call the patient and get them in to get them scheduled. Okay. That's great. I wanted to get that in there before we got too, too late later on in the podcast. So tell me, how did you guys get started in, in this path that you're on? So let's, let's start, let's start with you. So uh, Sarah, how, so whenever most people think of an OT, they don't think of low vision, right? So what was the path for you and why did you did you kind of fall into, or do you? I would imagine you you chose to land here. So, how did that work out? That is a very good question. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I think um, primarily I was working on our stroke rehab unit mm -hmm. in the rehab hospital. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And worked there for several years, and I was noticing that about seventy percent or so of the people that I was coming in contact with had some kind of reported visual impairment or we noticed that they had a visual impairment. Maybe they weren't able to necessarily report it because of other communication barriers or cognitive barriers. Um, and so just in identifying that, I wanted to learn more. So I started to do some research about programs around the country. And really the only program at that time that was available for occupational therapists was the program through the University of Alabama, Birmingham, mm -hmm. and it's their low vision rehabilitation, uh, their, their certification program, and it's a postgraduate program. Okay. So at that time I went back and decided, you know, I, I can do this. I can work full time here in the hospital and I can go to school. Mm -hmm. And so I went back uh, postgraduate through their program to learn more. As I started to learn more, I realized, wow, this is not even just about our neurologic demographic, but this is so much bigger that the community as a whole was being underserved in, in reaching people with congenital vision loss and age-related vision loss as well. There just weren't enough resources to really reach a large demographic of people in the community that had visual impairment and so started speaking with our administrative staff about some ideas um, as to how that could work. I, I actually wrote an email to Michael and Doug and said, hey, what do you guys think of this? Simultaneously, uh, and this was just the powers that be beyond me, <laughs> they were approached by um, another clinic to acquire some of the materials from that clinic and along with a patient list 
um, that they had built. Uh, well, it was a community low vision center mm-hmm. that there was already an optometrist there. They had mm-hmm. been providing um, low vision services just with an optometrist and then a, a low vision therapist. And basically they had kind of said there's a community need for this, but it's hard to support. We think it would work well within Brooks. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of odd timing that it was at yeah. the same time that you and some mm-hmm. of the other people at Brooks were kind of noticing this and it just came together it just fell together so whenever you said that you noticed mm-hmm. that in the in the community that though it's underserved mm-hmm. do you mean here specifically or do you think that even even across the united states it still is a very underserved definitely across the united states okay. it's underserved so there are i don't know what to, it is today i'd have to pull it up on our aota specialty mm-hmm. um, certifications list on our on our website but mm-hmm. i know in the state of florida the last i checked there were maybe five of us or so oh, wow that were specialized. And I was the first in the state of Florida to get the AOTA specialty credential. Wow. So uh, you can imagine, I mean, looking state by state, there's just a handful of people here and there that pop up that specialize in this area of Mm -hmm. rehab. Um, That's great. Another thing that makes mm -hmm. Brooks very unique. Mm -hmm. Another, it's what I kind of say it a lot on this podcast is just that all the different uh, programs that we talk to and that we have is, you know, the full circle of, where else can you really go to get stuff like, you know, your normal inpatient, outpatient, home health and that kind of thing. But then stuff like concussion and then what you guys do and some it's and then adaptive sports and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of amazing all the stuff that we offer. It just gets more revealed to me in my head as as we as I talk to more people through this podcast. That's great. So tell me about your journey. Yeah, so um, I actually became interested in optometry and, and got lucky enough to get to do an internship at Mayo Clinic. And that was kind of my first exposure to low vision. And again, I started to realize that it was a very underserved area and it was an area that I really had an interest in. You get to spend more time connecting with your patients and kind of understand what their goals are and help them achieve those. And so even before I went to optometry school, I kind of had that idea. And in optometry school, I got to do a little bit of research in low vision. And and then while I was in my residency, I was starting to look for a job. And it was at that same time that Brooks was acquiring the low vision center. And I'm actually from Jacksonville. And so I knew about the reputation that Brooks had and was really excited when I saw that they were going to be having a low vision center because like you said earlier, low vision really is just another form of rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. It's just not always connected together. Mm-hmm. And so I was really excited to see when they they were going to kind of include that because it means that we could take a much more holistic approach in addressing the needs of patients. And um, so we ended up kind of connecting then after straight mm-hmm. out of my residency. And Where were you going to school? Um, where? Yeah, where did you go to school at? Oh, um, my optometry school was at University of Houston, mm-hmm. and then I did my residency at the VA in Charleston. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then which uh, Mayo Clinic were you at when you did the intern? The Jacksonville Mayo Clinic. The one Clinic. here? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I was just curious. Because there's three now, right? Isn't there three Mayos? Yeah. I think there are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the Mayo podcast, but uh, <laughs> they do have their own podcast. Okay, so so you guys, this the, the Low Vision Center... Uh, has you guys have been here for since 2014 is that 2013 2013 mm-hmm. that's right mm-hmm. okay that's right that's it's been quite some time and you've both have been here the whole time yep well actually um, sarah started first yeah so we <laughs> saw our first person our first client 
April 1st. It was April Fool's Day, 2013. <laughs> and then when did you start? I started in July. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so okay. Shortly after. And you guys were located in another place. We were. We were out in Riverside. That's right. Initially, before right. we moved over here to the plaza. I was never, I never the, made it over there. During that, whenever you guys were there. And then you've been here ever since. Mm-hmm. We have. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in all this time, how have things changed? Maybe, you know, from any any area, maybe how insurance handles things or from patient populations and your workload of how more people are getting are getting to understand the importance of what you guys do. We have grown exponentially since we started in 2013. I think the the biggest thing that most people don't recognize or know about maybe because we maybe we're not as good about advertising it as we should be. But um, and Amanda Osborne spoke to this on the Facebook video that mm-hmm. you put out a right. while back. Um, that we've really expanded our vision rehab services to our system of care as a whole. Mm -hmm. So we do at times offer consultative, peer consultative services over in our acute care rehab setting. In our inpatient rehab hospital setting, we also provide a support. Dr. Jordan will see people, clients in that setting as well and Mm -hmm. start some early intervention and early recommendations and partnering with therapy to start helping them better identify newly acquired vision loss or even pre-morbid vision loss that could be impacting their rehab potential and their safety mm-hmm. while they're getting up and starting to move again. Because these could be have, these could be mm-hmm. things like the patient maybe hasn't even said that mm-hmm. they're having trouble with their vision. Exactly. So is it is it a lot of just educating our therapists just to, to maybe some signs to look out for for low vision issues and then they call you guys in? Well, so initially yes but actually we have found that it was it's very beneficial to take it a step further and provide some didactic learning opportunities for our therapists so we've actually created competencies for our occupational therapists and a minimal data set now in our inpatient rehab hospital setting so it's actually the role of the occupational therapist now in that setting to do vision screens Mm -hmm. and i start to identify some of these problems early on Mm -hmm. and then collaborate and consult with optometry so that we can get optometry in on these cases at a much um, earlier timeline to help start to provide intervention and education um, to promote things like fall prevention, just general safety. And to really just help them out even while they're getting therapy instead of it being something they do maybe after they've left inpatient, but Mm -hmm. something they can be working on during. Mm -hmm. That's great. Absolutely. And then also in our skilled nursing and our within aging services, we expanded uh, the vision rehab program. Mm -hmm. So sure. mm -hmm. What, um, is there any, any tips out there that people should maybe, um, Maybe if they have a loved one or something like that, something to look out for, maybe, you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a, of a way to help, like, you know. Um, I mean, I would say continuing to ask questions to mm-hmm. providers who are, who are providing care. I think one of the most frustrating things that we hear from loved ones and from patients mm-hmm. um, is, you know, why didn't we hear about this sooner? Why didn't somebody tell us about this? And, you know, the truth is a lot of times it's not that their doctors didn't want to tell them about it. It's that maybe they had glaucoma and their pressure was sky high and they've been trying to get everything under control and save as much of their vision as they can. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't come up in conversation that, gee, I can't read my medication labels anymore. 
um, or I can't see to prepare my food anymore because they're so worried about these other pieces. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times it takes some advocacy on the part of the patient or maybe their caregivers to really help them um, identify these services that could be beneficial to them because it's not that we want to wait until somebody has lost a lot of vision. We want to get these services sooner rather than later. Right. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes you just got to ask the right questions to get there. Right. What, uh, to finish off, what's, uh, what's maybe a, a tip here. And I know I've talked to you before about different, like looking at computer screens and that kind of thing, but what's like a tip for the general population about, you know, protecting their eye health and obviously wearing sunglasses when you're outside and yeah. that kind of thing. But what, what, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, there's a few kind of simple things that I always tell people when they come in and they want to know what can I do to take better care of my eyes, mm -hmm. sunglasses, UV protection, same way you want to protect your skin. You want to protect your eyes. Right. Um, regular eye exams every one to two years is usually a good idea just right. to make sure there's nothing. A lot of eye diseases are nothing that you would feel or see. Mm -hmm. They, they creep up on you slowly. And so having that routine care can help to prevent vision loss early on. Um, the food that you eat can also very much impact your eyes. Uh, Is it true that carrots help your vision? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to know that. Um, they actually don't help as much as we thought that I they didn't did. Think so. Yeah, really, the the better food for your eyes are like dark, greasy, dark leafy green vegetables. Right. Um, Is it vitamin K? It's it not the vitamin K. It's actually an antioxidant. There's oh, okay. some different antioxidants that help to support the macular pigment. Mm -hmm. They used to think that it was beta carotene. That's, in that's what I was thinking of. Sorry. Yep. It's it's a carotenoid, which they're all kind of in the same family. Mm -hmm. But beta carotene isn't quite the same um, mm -hmm. structure as what's in your retina. Right. And they found that that there are different carotenoids and you can find them more in things like dark leafy green vegetables orange peppers even oranges all the things um, i don't eat yeah anything bright and colorful <laughs> but not icing oh <laughs> darn that was my brother-in-law's question <laughs> so i can eat lots of icing then yeah. no Bright, bright, and colorful. bright and colorful, but not on Publix cakes. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So spinach not only helps make you strong like Popeye, mm -hmm. but also gives you good vision. Mm -hmm. That's great. And then, and then for, you know, since we're all staring at screens all the time, what, um, I always think of the 20, 20, 20 rule yep. and I try and practice it when I can, yep. uh, I don't always actually do it, but so what is the 20, 20, 20 rule? Okay. Tracy? So it's every 20 minutes mm -hmm. look 20 feet away for 20 seconds. Nicely done. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've accomplished something. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it. Yeah. Cause we did that healthy living tip uh, yeah, video. We did. Um, and I, re I remember it from that. So yeah, that's a good rule. And cause for me editing videos and what yeah. I, not just that, I mean, I, I'm always on a computer. It's everything. Everybody's always on a screen. Of some sort yeah. Of and, and for, you know, it's just a lot of intense time staring at a screen and we don't take the time to just go walk outside and just let our eyes kind of rest a little bit. So um, what, what is it about the screens that is kind of not, not great for eyes? Is it the constant focusing too close or the brightness or? I think there's, there's kind of a combination of things that we're starting to figure out about screens that mm -hmm. can kind of, um, cause some different problems for us. Um, a lot of times screens are sitting straight out in front of you, right. whereas used to, when you would read, you were looked down mm -hmm. and your eyes were mostly closed. Oh. Now, if a screen is right in front of you, your eyes are wide open. Okay. The more you focus, the less you blink. So right. the average person blinks 18 to 22 times a minute, except when you're reading and your blink rate goes down to four times a minute. Oh. And so if you're reading straight out in front of you and your eyes are wide open, your eyes are getting dried out and they're going to get a lot more fatigue okay. um, with 
with a screen more so than you would with like a book that you're reading in your lap. Um, there's, um, and then you also have the backlighting. So there's some extra glare there as well that can cause some eye strain too. Right. Is it, is it uh, true about not having a completely dark room staring at a really bright screen? Like I try and have some sort of an ambient light going on somewhere. So it's not completely pitch black with a giant screen. Yeah. I mean that, that can create, probably some more stress on your eyes because your eyes have to adapt to the light and the dark. And so if mm-hmm. you're staring at a bright screen and then you look over into the dark, you're going to, your eyes are going to take longer to adapt right. that way. Yep. Um, and so just, it would make the, the reading situation more stressful on you. Yeah. Um, holding things up close also for a longer period of times, it, it can put a lot more stress on your eyes. Mm. Um, one of the things that a lot of research is going into now is why our population is becoming more nearsighted as a whole. Yeah, I, I've noticed that. Like, yeah. why is everyone having eye problems? They're, they're calling it the myopia epidemic uh-huh. <laughs> um, because, I mean, it's a thing and it's happening more in developed countries where our kids and our societies, everything is happening at near. We're working on computers. Right. We're working on machines. We're not working outside in fields. Right. Um, and so our eyes are kind of adapting to that. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily a good thing right. because the more nearsighted you are, the the longer your eye is and the more stretched out your retina becomes. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to kind of find ways to offset that. And thoughts are things like the 20-20-20 rule where you're taking frequent breaks mm-hmm. or just taking breaks as you get up can kind of help offset that near demand on your eyes. Right. And maybe switching up some activities to preoccupy your children with things other than a tablet. I was going to ask that. Yeah. That was yeah. going to be my next question. That's, is, a, that's a big part of that. I think of this mm-hmm. generation that's currently coming up. So the iPad came out in 2010. So mm-hmm. the, you know, the, and it really started hitting culture maybe 2012-ish whenever you started really seeing iPads around. And now you go in a grocery store and there's a kid in a grocery cart staring at mm-hmm. an iPad or a phone or something. And I, I think about that generation when they get older is, are they going to have a completely different set of issues than we have now? Because people like me, I grew up in the 90s and, you know, the internet was becoming a thing. And then, so now screens have obviously been a big part of my life. But from them, from being infants almost, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see mm-hmm. how that changes culture. And maybe it'll be great for the eye industry, but not necessarily for people's eyes. <laughs> so what we're basically saying is we want your child playing outside but with their sunglasses. With their sunglasses. (laughs) Barefoot sunglasses on. Yeah. Barefoot with sunglasses and leave the tablet alone. Right. (laughs) Get outside and do things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's, that's all I have. Is there anything else you guys want to say? If, if let's imagine we have a hundred million people listening to this podcast, which we don't, but (laughs) if you did, what would, what would you want to say to them about anything low vision related? So, I think it's really important to to understand that we understand it's not always feasible for every person that's within our system of care or every person who learns about our program to have the opportunity to be a part of our program. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that we're still not here as a community resource. Mm-hmm. And so I know sometimes we get questions from people who are geo expansion in the hospital or other places and they say, oh, well, you know, I live too far away from the clinic. I, I can't get resources or, or get help from you guys. Um, I would still encourage those people to call so we can at least maybe help to connect them mm-hmm. to somebody in their area, mm-hmm. to the right resource um, in their area so that they're not without services altogether. 
um, just to continue to let people know that even if they cannot be a client of ours, we're still here as a, as a support to them. Right. I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think vision loss in general can be very isolating. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's helpful for us to kind of be aware of it. The fact that it is prevalent in our society, there's so many things that can cause vision loss that as a caregiver or a clinician, that you'd be aware of the signs that might indicate that somebody has a vision change Mm -hmm. and then be aware of resources that are available to help get those patients plugged in and, and, get them what they need so that they're not isolated and they're not living in an unsafe um, situation when when things simple things could be done to help mm-hmm. them with that okay well great absolutely thank you and and this podcast should be out in february for low vision awareness month oh, so yay. yeah so that'll be Thanks. you know happy low vision awareness month to everyone listening yeah. um, but thank you guys for taking the time to do this yeah thank you Appreciate thank it. you